Let's turn in our Bibles to Joshua, chapter number one. In just two verses is what we will read. And we can read it together. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Okay? And let's all read it together. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Now, the name of Joshua holds a very significant role when it comes to the Jewish culture. Every time it's uh, spoken amongst Israelites, it would recall these events, that they moved from the wilderness and over to this promised land. Joshua was indeed that man that Moses had appointed after, after Moses to, uh, had taken place. After Moses' uh, life had passed away, Joshua was the one to take up Moses' place. But something about Joshua's name has an even greater meaning. In fact, one of the things we like to look at today in our modern day and age is we like to look at things, we like to look at their design, and then we name it. Right? You can't have something without a name. And sometimes the naming of something has such an important weight behind it that the brand or the name itself becomes the object. One of the first jobs that God even gave to Adam was name everything. Right? Now in our today's day and age, as I was saying, certain objects have gotten known by their brands. And I just have a few examples, and you can probably guess along with me. Uh, what is a brand name that we know by, uh, that we know this object by today for petroleum jelly? Vaseline, yeah. What about uh, adhesive bandages? Band-Aids, yeah. Internet search engine, Google. I heard Bing, man. <laughs> All right, what about photo manipulation? Photoshop, yeah. So these are brands, but they've come to become the object itself or the action itself. So those names have become the face of what they represent is what had happened. Now, I'm usually very passionate about names, but I've experienced my uh, fair share of problems with my own name. I've traveled all around uh, the world and uh, even all around Canada, going from Quebec to here. And back when I was in Quebec and people would uh, say my name, they would say Divyun, right? And uh, I was in elementary back in Quebec. So elementary kids, you know how they are. They'll take a name and they'll play with it. Uh, interestingly enough, the word for sofa or couch in uh, in uh, French is divan, so they would always say, hey, divan, hey, couch, come here. Hey, couch, do you want to run with us? All right. But then when I came to BC, I thought, oh, this must be just a French person problem. 
Well, I came to BC and I told, you know, some of my friends, they were all English in a French school, but I told them my name and they said Davian. It's like, well, that's not exactly right, but that's all right. And I would, uh, I would, you know, tell people my name, but everyone had a different pronunciation in, for it. Well, eventually one day I went to Starbucks with Pastor Justin. And we ordered a, a, you know, a Starbucks drink and I told them my name and I repeated my name over and over because they didn't think they heard it right. Well, eventually Pastor Justin cut in and he said, well, think of the letters DVN. And all right, the barista wrote it. Well, at the end, they, were, they had my coffee drink ready and they said, I have an order ready for done. I would like to suggest that names do hold a great significance. There are three names that I want to take a look at today. Three very significant names that pop out throughout the Bible. Three men that had names that God used very greatly. Perhaps their names did not play a big role in the story that they were a part of at first but God sure thought that they were significant. So let's take a look at these three names. But first, we'll open up in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this uh, morning and all the students that are here. Thank you for the safety and the good health you've given us. And I just, I just pray, Father, that uh, you would help our hearts to be receptive to this word, uh, to this message. I pray, Father, that uh, you would get a hold of our hearts, and also, Lord, that, uh, that you may use us, whatever name we've been given, that uh, we still hold this one name, the Christ's name, with us. And I pray, Father, that we'd be able to glorify it. But I pray now that you would uh, calm my nerves, but also help me to give this message uh, the way it ought to be given. I thank you and praise you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So now the first name we're going to look at and we've already talked about him, Joshua, the son of Nun, or Nun. Joshua was there at the beginning of Israel. Joshua's case is, you know, this was the man that God had used to bring the, this great nation of Israel out of the wilderness and into the promised land. And I find it interesting that when uh, you see Joshua, and he was in this promised land that was full, filled with riches back when they were still... Uh, not in the promised land yet. He brought the message that the promised land is a great place and we ought to go in and go, go into the promised land. And he was amongst uh, the two guys who were wanting to go, but then the ten uh, convinced the rest and they didn't. They rejected his message, similar to how Christ's message was rejected by the Jews. Another thing about Joshua's life was that uh, just like Moses, how he, uh, Moses represents the law, Joshua is still the one who brought them into the promised land. Moses wasn't the one who brought the Israelites into the promised land. Joshua's whole life seemed to parallel Moses' life as well. When Moses was used to part the Red Sea, Joshua was used to cross the Jordan River. While Moses was used to bring down the armies of the Pharaoh, Joshua was used to bring down the armies of Canaan. While Moses had to remove his shoes from off his feet when he met God, Joshua had to do the same when he met the captain of the Lord's hosts. 
So Joshua was accustomed to relying on God throughout his whole life, similar to his mentor Moses. Joshua's name itself means Jehovah is salvation. That's what it means. So Joshua, throughout his life, he was relying on God and he had zeal. Zeal. Joshua had zeal. And that's what God used so many times over to lead Israel into so many victories in the promised land. Joshua, you could say he was also a little bit naive at times. He, he took things at face value. But he was still used of the Lord mightily. And for the Jewish people, the name Joshua stood for something that was right for the times when things were going well in Israel. And Joshua's name held incredible weight. In fact, it's in the verse Joshua 24:15 that we find, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Serving was, natu- was just that natural part of Joshua's life. It was normal. And we see that this was a guy who didn't want to think twice if they will get a victory. He just knew. Amidst the many trials in life, the many tests that were going to come in this newly inhabited uh, promised land, Joshua knew that God is salvation. And through the life of Joshua, I'm learning more and more as well, just not to worry. Don't worry about it. I'm not saying to be careless. Don't be careless. I am saying if you are doing what God has asked you to do, don't worry. There are no mistakes. We know Romans 8:28. There are no mistakes. And I think these verses outline Joshua's life. Let's take a look at them. You're in Joshua 1, verse 8. Verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And then let's take a, take a look at Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6 and verse number 2. It says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. See, I'm not trying to say that Joshua had this attitude of nihilistic acceptance. It's like, oh, let's just go do it, and then we'll... You know, who knows what will happen, but uh, we'll just roll with it. I'm not saying that. I said Joshua had this attitude of hope. Every time he went in, he knew that God had already given the victory. Knowing that God had the future in the palm of his hand. So Joshua just stayed the course. Just stay the course. Victory is a sure thing when you are doing God's work. Then I want to get to the second name. Hosea. So let's turn to Hosea. Hosea, the son of Beeri. Now the name Hosea means deliverer. 
or one who saves in Hebrew. So you look at a man, Hosea, and you look, you look at his life, and it was not the kind of life that everyone really would want. It is not the brand name, so to speak, of Christianity. Looking at his life, he was told to marry a harlot, to marry a woman that would never be faithful to him from the start. His children, he was commanded to name them after the judgments that God had placed over Israel. But something that outshines everything throughout his book is that Hosea stayed faithful. Hosea's whole life was about warning the people of what is to come because of their idolatrous living, because of their sinful living. And if you're in Hosea chapter 3 and verse 4 to 5, it says, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, and without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim. Afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. I want to point out two things about Hosea's life. Life can be filled with mistakes. But God is faithful to redeem those mistakes. And that we still have to be faithful when the times get tough. Those are the two things. Christians who recognize their wrongs and repent and get back on board, God will bless again. An unbeliever may go through life and make mistake after mistake, but what else is there to, for them? Is there any hope for them to recover? But if a Christian makes a mistake, they still have a hope. There's still light at the end of the tunnel for a Christian. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And no, Hosea is not a common name, right? He isn't the first person you think of uh, even when you say the words minor prophet. At least I, I don't think of Hosea as a minor pro- right away as a minor prophet. But he shows us that God can still make something out of something ruined. God can still do great things. Ecclesiastes 3 uh, verse 11, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. God redeems the broken and makes things beautiful in his time. But that second thing that Hosea showed us is that God still requires faithfulness from Christians in a darkened world. We have Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. In a day and age where sin is becoming more and more rampant, more and more common, it is getting harder and harder to find people that don't have a broken past. It is getting harder and harder to find teenagers that haven't gotten into a sin that once upon a time only adults would have gotten themselves into. Big sins or gross sins are now at a bottom shelf where kids can reach them. But there is comfort in knowing that God is a redeemer and God can fix these people up. Hosea shows us that. We still see that God is working in people's lives. 
But Hosea also shows us to keep staying faithful and to act as the lighthouse for people to see holiness. That was Hosea's life. Now the third name. If you're following this pattern, the third name, you probably have guessed it, is Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, the name that is above every name. Jesus Christ is our Savior. We tend to say a Christian needs to live a, Christian, a Christ-like life. That's something we often say. But what does that mean, a Christ-like life? There are people today that think that Christ had a wife on earth, that he was married to Mary Magdalene or someone else. There are people that believe that uh, Christ never rose from the dead. Instead, he swooned on the cross. And then he lived a normal life somewhere in India as a guru and taught good morals. That's it. And then a few days ago, I decided, you know what, I want to tackle this question. What does it mean to be Christ-like? If in a court of law I was to define what Christ-likeness was, here would be my answer. Philippians chapter 2. Let's take a look. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. I think this beautifully summarizes Christ-likeness. Chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then there's a colon, and it goes on. Jesus Christ, though he was the ruler of the universe, the one that set up what physicists would call the fabrics of time, the one who set the laws of nature in motion, he is also the one that decided he was going to humble himself and put himself under those same laws that he put up. Jesus Christ made himself man, but he also humbled himself and became a servant of man. And as verse 6 points out in Philippians 2.6, he puts it, he made himself of no reputation. I'm sorry, it's... Uh, I lost the verse. But he made himself of no reputation. And there's no way a man like, if, for example, Jeff Bezos, or a man like Elon Musk would put themselves at no reputation. That would subject them to become servants or to be humiliated. There's no way one of them would do it. But Jesus did. And what's interesting is that there's so many loonies throughout history that have started a religion and have tried setting themselves up as God. But God set himself up as man. He humbled himself, and then he died for our sins. So Jesus is worthy of our adoration. But what we can learn from Christ, most of all, is that we ought to always have a heart of humility. Humility is the greatest thing. Let this mind be in you. So I'm going to conclude. 
How important is a name? And I've pointed out three different names. All have the same meaning in the end. Joshua, Joshua's name means Jehovah is salvation. Hosea's name also mean, means the one who saves. And then Jesus' name is the Greek transliteration of the name of Joshua. So, these three men show us three characteristics that Christians ought to strive to have, which is zeal, faithfulness, and humility. Now, I didn't finish my story. A few years ago, when I made my trip to Sri Lanka, I got to meet all kinds of Sri Lankan Christians, and they asked me where I got my name from. It was interesting, because, well, Sri Lankans can usually pronounce my name normal, all right? <laughs> so, they asked me where I got my name from, and they knew that it came from Sanskrit. Sanskrit is that old language just before Hindi and, and Tamil and all that. But they weren't sure what it meant. And one of the national pastors there, one of the Sri Lankan pastors there, he asked me where my name came from, and I told him I didn't know, and I was also planning to perhaps change it to Michael to make it easier. So the pastor, what he did was he went home and he came back, and what he had done at home was he did a Bible study, and he gave me a piece of paper every single time my name popped up in the Bible. And I didn't realize it at first, but in the Tamil Bible, my name apparently comes up seven or eight times, all meaning either holy or divine or light. I didn't know I actually had a Tamil biblical name. So, uh, no pressure for me though, it's, you know, it's really easy to live a holy and divine and light life. No, it's not. But that is a lot to live up to. I'm not trying to show off this name, but I am trying to say we are all given earthly names by our parents. But as Christians, the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ's, everything we do on earth, we carry that name around as well with us. So we need to wear it with honor. People ought to be able to see Jesus Christ when we are zealous to do the work of God in whatever ministry we're performing and are a part of. They ought to see faithfulness in those ministries. They, they shouldn't see someone that is trying something one day and then trying something else a different day. And then when the going gets tough, that they just give up and move on. But they also need to see faithfulness in there. And the last thing is they need to see a servant's heart. One that's willing to humble themselves and submit themselves under others. Amen. I'll pray in. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.